0: or does January bring out the best in people? I mean, at no other time of the year do folks seem so focused on being such glorious versions of themselves. Couch potatoes are suddenly exercising. Meat lovers are giving vegetables a fair chance. And weeknight drinkers, well, who are we kidding? We're, I mean, they're probably still hitting the bottle. But even so, you can't deny that in the coldest, dreariest month of the year, at least where we're sitting, people are focused on New Year's resolutions that propel them to do better, be better, and even look better. So the only question is, what about trans? pricing, How are you planning to step up your game there? Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions' weekly transfer pricing podcast. And we have a special episode for you today. This year, we're raising the stakes on New Year's resolutions by vowing to be the best possible transfer pricing executives the world has ever seen. A departure from last year's resolution, be more modest. In fact, in the next hour, we will, scratch that, Fiona will reveal 11 transfer pricing New Year's resolutions All inspired by previous Fiona Show experts, members of the OECD, renowned tax attorneys, transfer pricing authors, PhDs, professors, economists, even our own cross-border solutions, transfer pricing rock stars. What can we say? The show just keeps on giving. Feeling intimidated? Nonsense. Like always, we've got your back. Along with these time, money, and stress-saving resolutions, we also offer expert tips from Cross-Border Solutions Chief Economist Mimi Song on how to launch these model behaviors, if we do say so, and keep at them. So sure, hit the treadmill and eat your kale. Then when you're ready for a real challenge, join us on the road to transfer pricing betterment and make 2020 your most successful year yet. But first, here's the latest in transfer pricing in the news. Starting the new decade off strong, Turkey is the latest country to cross the unilateral Rubicon and pass a digital service tax, joining their Western European counterparts in the UK, Italy, France, and a host of others. But the DST Turkey passed in December is, well, uh, unique in that not only is it a lot, 7.5%, ouch, but unlike most countries, Turkey's executive branch dominates the others, to put it politely. And thus, there are numerous carve-outs in the law allowing for the president to raise or lower the tax and on whatever industries as he sees fit must be nice anyway the tax was introduced as part of the expenditure taxes law under the turkish tax legislation and only subject to specified services provided to parties in turkey and companies with a consolidated revenue of 20 million turkish lira or 3.125 million euros or more And again, as to who specifies those services, that can be up to President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and can include services involving user data, advertising controlling and performance measurement. But don't worry, there are also exceptions depending on where President Erdogan's head is at the time. And for as much as seems to depend on the president's divine judgment, the DST does give some reassurances that A, his ahem presidentialness will most likely lower tax rates, not raise them. And B, if he does anything at all, it'll likely be by presidential decree before the law goes into effect on april 1st 2020 and let's hope he beats that deadline mixing authoritarian politics in april fool's day doesn't sound like a great way to avoid further confusion in speaking of deadlines we turn to the eu's long-term objective to replace the 1993 temporary value-added tax or vat system with a definitive version by july 2022 Now such systems are precarious all on their own because they charge incrementally, but the EU's VAT system can be even more screwy since EU institutions don't collect the tax, but EU member states are required to adopt one anyway, usually ranging anywhere between 17 to 27%. Changes to the EU VAT include self-described quick fixes in 2020, such as harmonizing call-off stock, cross-border transactions, and documentation rules across the EU. These adjustments will form part of the plan and remain in place only until the new VAT system is completely implemented. But as we heard from the International Tax Review and Alvarez's recent roundtable, it's more like instead of the U.S. introducing VAT, the EU is introducing a sales tax. Plus, given the toll it would take on ERP systems, there are very few brave enough to bet the EU is going to debut a no-quick-fixes version of VAT by 2022. And who can roll out a new VAT system while everyone's waiting to see what happens with Brexit? But consent The consensus seems to be that any new VAT system is going to require automation. After all, it's not like you're just going to memorize all of those new country codes, right? And would you trust any single human being with that responsibility? Let's agree. No one person should have all that to remember. And in the galaxy far, far away, when the Emperor gives Order 66, it's bad news for the Jedi. Meanwhile, in the transfer pricing universe, Georgia's Decree Number 366 is sending ripples through the wide world of international tax, particularly in how smaller jurisdictions are working with OECD guidelines, making MNEs less than enthusiastic. In fact, what ensues from Decree 366 is a waterfall of conditions where if what you're doing doesn't fall under new Georgian tax laws, now it refers to the the OECD's 2017 rules. Now the thing to remember about Georgia is that it's a reputably low tax jurisdiction with lots of perks for investors and it's like stupid easy to start a business there and there's only a 15% corporate tax and it applies only to dividends. Now find me another Eastern European mid-sized, mostly developed economy who can do that. Oh man this is going to suck. You can practically hear the several millions in tax revenue cry out in horror and be suddenly silenced. But a greater need to bring balance to their budgets than to your spreadsheets Georgia has. software. Keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big name consultant. Again, apologies, Big 4. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross border solutions, AI driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I? kidding sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp okay fiona get us started what is transfer pricing resolution number one
1: my first resolution matt is take a proactive approach to documentation.
0: And we learned that from Mimi Song on episode one. And in case you just don't remember.
1: Multinationals
2: have always, and even today, they think that they can take a reactive approach to documentation. And what that means is they think, oh, I'm just going to have a template in place. And maybe if I get an idea, I'll be able to, you know, cobble something up really quickly, right? I'll react when someone asks me now the challenge with that is twofold number one by the time you are getting audited the people who know about the transaction and the facts and circumstances they may not be with the company anymore so unfortunately the people who are who who need to tell you about exactly what the transfer pricing transactions were what the policy was why it was established that way they might not be there and so you won't have the right information to tell number two when you're reactive you're you're fighting your way out of a corner right and so that i think it, it it's time effort money like all of that is is just i think it it it's increased tenfold when you're in a reactive position
0: that's from episode one worldwide transfer pricing compliance and we have mimi with us now mimi we hear about the importance of transfer pricing documentation all the time what are some ways you can be proactive about it
2: well, I think in order to be proactive, first, you need to understand what are the rules in each specific country and how do they apply to my facts and circumstances. In certain countries, perhaps there's threshold requirements, right? And so if there's a threshold requirements, it's not relevant to you. However, most countries don't necessarily have a threshold requirement and the documentation should be prepared contemporaneously. And this idea of being contemporaneous, I think is important. And, you know, I I will say it again. By the time you get an IDR, you may not actually have the right people still around to be able to explain why you guys did what you did from a company perspective, right? So being proactive um, and making sure your documentation is contemporaneous is not only in accordance with the requirements, but it's in your best interest as a company. Right. So that's first and foremost. And the other thing, a couple, to, a couple of things to keep in mind here is that having a centralized repository. Most companies, I think, have an online filing system. Right. And maybe different companies have a different filing sort of structures in place that they try to make consistent But the reality is when you have this online filing system, it's just, it's the same as having a filing cabinet right at your desk. You have to use whatever filing system you're familiar with, right? Which means that if the person before established a filing system, well, that system is probably what they're most familiar with. So... Sometimes you're, it's, it's like a treasure hunt trying to find the transfer pricing studies right. from historical years because that might not have been your filing system. Um, and so, having sort of the centralized repository, knowing where information is, uh, is also really important to making sure that you can be proactive about your documentation, uh, having a, a, a repository that it makes sense and mm-hmm. it's easy for users to, uh, to figure out
0: having all of your eggs in one basket is actually a, a worthwhile piece of advice rather than <laughs> a cautionary tale here. A,
2: a cautionary a tale. A virtue, if you want. Yeah, and, and you know, also you probably want to take a look at your intercompany agreements, right? Right. Because agreements could be out of date or perhaps operationally you're not following the agreements anymore. You mm. know, going through that housekeeping exercise is is a good way to stay proactive to make sure that everything lines up. And not that you have to do it every month or every other month or something, but at least on an annual basis, you go through the exercise of at least just checking from a policy perspective or or knowing what your contracts say and how it relates to your, you know, your pricing, your transfer pricing policies and procedures. Is really important, so you want mm. to stay on top of that.
0: So we want to know documentation requirements in the countries where we have entities. We want to know where we where we have transactions. Uh, we want to keep transfer pricing information in a centralized location, and we want to update and do due diligence on our intercompany agreements.
2: You got it, Matt.
0: And just taking a quick break to deliver our first CPE code word for our listeners. And that code word is resolution, as in New Year's resolution. On to resolution number two. Fiona.
1: Transfer pricing New Year's resolution number two. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. I think
0: multinational companies find themselves in a position of planning for today rather than planning for tomorrow. And I think that that's that's the biggest issue that I see in both my own company and trying to be forward-looking but also in other companies that it's very difficult sometimes to see see into the future and to know exactly how we should be planning, but having that agility and that ability to do so and baking that into the strategy is is a critical piece. We thank Erin Perks for that one. She reminded us of that in episode three, the a digital economy strikes back. I'm kidding. The digital economy with Erin Perks. Mimi, can you give us some tips on transfer pricing planning?
2: Well, staying on top of the changes in the regulatory environment, what's actually happening out there in the news with other companies, I think is all really important to figuring out what you can do as an organization yourselves, right? Because if there are certain companies in the news that are being challenged in certain areas, you may want to stay away from that Mm -hmm. um, as an opportunity. However... At the same time, you don't want to ignore planning altogether, right? You want to be able to identify your vulnerable transactions. You want to figure out where you have exposure, you know, especially in countries where there are um, some really aggressive tax authorities. And perhaps you can do some planning with respect to the countries where... They're not as aggressive, and where the audit risk is perhaps lower, um, you should understand the, uh, the the intangibles that your company owns and how it drives value with your within your organization, right? And so, understanding how the business is structured and what is actually uh, you know creating stru- creating value throughout your entire business strategy platform is going to be important for planning purposes, right? And I think you know, planning is, is a lot of people think of planning as a little bit of a dirty word in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, you're, you're taking advantage of tax arbitrage situations, but there's, there's a way to do that. I mean, you're doing planning within the confines of the regulatory environment and you just, you want to maximize the benefit to the company and that's okay, right? To plan in preparation for what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. To your point. Um, And and so I I think that there are good ways to you need to proactively be thinking about opportunities for the company, even if, you know, tax reform could change everything or there could be new tax reform, and you know, even though the political environment could bring about a lot of changes in the future. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, you can also use our software for transfer pricing planning. (laughs)
0: That's right. Uh, I was about to mention that. But just to recap, um, you know, in speaking of cross-border products, a great way to stay on top of the news, as you were mentioning before, is to not only subscribe to this podcast, but our special Hot Off the Press podcast. You can squeeze staying on top of the news in under 10 minutes, short enough for any commute, and also to have an awareness of your vulnerabilities within jurisdiction. And as you mentioned before, uh, keeping your documentation in a centralized location.
2: So uh, another aspect uh, about, you know, proactively planning is making sure that the transfer pricing team is a part of the conversations When businesses are thinking about how they want to um, organically grow the business in new jurisdictions or even inorganically through acquisitions or things of that nature. But it's important that you create or that people within the transfer pricing and tax space create some visibility and be a part of the conversation to understand what the business plans to do in the future so that you can provide two cents in terms of what are the tax implications, what are the transfer pricing implications, are there better
1: ways to think about that and and just take a more proactive role there.
0: And what's next, Fiona?
1: Resolution number three, say goodbye forever to generic reports. The
2: various countries have really Made it very clear that unless you have documentation that meets their specific requirements, you're you're setting yourself up for for adjustment. And um, there's no reason in this day and age, with with the technology available, to not produce uh, localized documentation for every country that you're
0: you're in. And that was Andre Anoyu, VP of Global Economic Operations here at Cross-Border Solutions from Episode 5, Traditional Transactional Transfer Pricing Methodologies. Now, Mimi, what's your advice on that?
2: So reports can't be generic anymore. I mean, I think in order to not have a generic report, you have to have localized comp searches. You have to have a, a report that actually meets the requirements of each local country's legislation, right? The OECD issued Action 13, which is the three-tiered approach to documentation. But what you always have to keep in mind is that the OECD is more of a, a Policy making guidance body, if you will. They're, they're providing guidelines, but all of those guidelines have to be adopted into law and enacted in order for it to be effective, right? And what many countries have been doing essentially is is taking that as the baseline, but then applying their own tweaks to that. And so perhaps creating a situation for some multinationals to be in a gotcha situation. So maintaining that documentation, really, really important making sure that the documentation meets all of the local requirements um, and checks all the boxes off. And and part of that is also being aware of what those local regulatory environments are requesting, right? The fact that certain countries are looking at the economic analysis on a one-year basis versus a multi-year basis, which could be three years, it could be five years, right? Uh, Are they calculating the ranges based on an interquartile range? Are they using the Excel method? Are they using... Uh, a different type of range. So all of that is really important to be able to check that box off to say, hey, I've met those local requirements. I have a report that is not generic. It is localized in accordance with your rules and regulations.
0: So just to recap from there, you wanna make sure you're using localized comparables, that your documentation meets the requirements in that local jurisdiction don't just take for granted that even if it's a jurisdiction that is relying heavily on the OECD, that they're always relying on OECD guidelines.
2: Matt, also, don't forget about the master file requirements, right? And right. Then what's interesting about the master file is if you think about what a generic report was historically versus what a master file is today, perhaps people, some people might be able to argue that a master file is that generic OECD study. Now, a, a master file is actually a very specific set of um, information. Yeah, sure, it, that would be your OECD generic report in some ways, mm-hmm. but don't forget, they have localized requirements on a master file basis as well. It's, it, it you know, once you have that as the starting point, um, then all of the local files should basically be a, a sort of a, a spoke off of that wheel, if you will. All right.
0: Right, right. And don't keep us guessing, Fiona, what's resolution number four?
1: Simple. Give tax authorities some credit. They've earned it.
0: And here is Manuel de los Santos, the transfer pricing advisor at the OECD in Paris, reminding us just how up to speed authorities have become.
3: You know, tax authorities are becoming more and more fluent, if you like, in terms of transfer pricing analysis, and they are becoming more confident in order to get into the complexities of a transfer pricing audit. And I think that's. That's also part of the reason why we are seeing today um, an increased number of tax reliefs uh, on on transfer prices. So, Mimi, tell us what to keep
0: in mind about tax authorities when we're preparing transfer pricing reports and documentation?
2: I think the general consensus here is that tax authorities are becoming more sophisticated and they're actually creating and empowering their teams more. They're allocating resources and budgets to bringing on talented transfer pricing resources. They're looking at transfer pricing um, as a way to help I mean, perhaps to facilitate the budget associated with mm-hmm. the increase in the resources, right? Audits ultimately will increase. Um, and, and you know, based on based on what uh, Manuel de los Santos had stated before, everyone is at risk. Ultimately, right. it's not even limited to certain types of companies or, or just because you're not you know the next Facebook it doesn't mean that you are not at risk all companies are being targeted in fact perhaps some of the lesser-known companies tax authorities might think hey that's a low-hanging fruit let's go after them maybe they don't have anything in in, in place because they didn't really think transfer pricing was that important but governments have more and more information about companies nowadays, right? Especially with country by country reporting and all these transfer pricing documentation requirements with sharing of information. They're just that much more educated and knowledgeable about what's happening out there on a multinational basis. And as a result of that, they're getting more aggressive. They're going after the big fish. They're going after the small fish. They're going after any fish where they can, where where essentially they feel as if, you know, over the last ten, fifteen years, they haven't been getting their fair share of taxable income. So ultimately, it's just it's becoming uh, they're they're becoming more rigorous in their processes. They're 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 looking at transfer pricing as a way to shore up any economic budget deficits. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the tax commissioners. I mean, I think they've been. Some people have been quoted saying, you know, transfer mispricing, right? It's it's like transfer right. pricing has become uh, a taboo sort of word. And then it's become this this really negative image for a multinational. Oh, they're engaged in transfer pricing practices. Well, actually, transfer pricing is not the problem, right? right, right. It's, it's you know, companies that are perhaps aggressively taking advantage of tax arbitrage opportunities and you know, being able to do that through transfer pricing policies, right? So,
0: right, right.
2: it's it's interesting. I mean, the HMRC in and of themselves came out explicitly and said that multinationals are not fair share, paying their fair share of taxes. And I remember even, you know, when President Obama, during one of his State of the Union's, He was indicating that in the U.S. alone, I think they had estimated uh, roughly $4 billion in potential income that was being migrated offshore and not being taxed appropriately in the U.S. because of, you know, transfer pricing misappropriations, if you will. So.
0: was that was that directly in the in the state of the Union did he mention transfer pricing I, uh, yes it You was would a, remember right I
2: would remember because <laughs> it was the first time I ever heard a president talk about transfer pricing right, and this is right. the first time where where I was like wow okay yeah. people know what, what this is'm this is actually yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah I'm actually surprised with the tariffs it hasn't come up more often but um, just to backtrack on on all of the pro tips here you're giving tax authorities are more sophisticated than ever governments are have more data about about your company than ever. Everyone is at risk, and it can do significant harm to your brand. This can be a volatile, um, you know, area of tax policy in in which to operate.
2: Right, and 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 the tax authorities, the countries in each tax authority. I mean, their estimates of like uh, of potential misappropriated or misallocated income as a result Mm -hmm. of aggressive transfer pricing policies is in excess of millions and billions of dollars. I think what was it? HMRC, um, they raised about, uh, oh, my gosh, one point six billion pounds from transfer pricing adjustments in twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen, right? Right. And and I that's it's just it's an astonishing number if you think about it, right? And one point six sure. billion dollars in adjustments. And that's just based on what they were able to find and uncover.
0: Right. And if you know the US is talking about this, the UK is talking about this, Canada has to be cracking down as well.
2: Yes. Oh my gosh. So Canada is becoming much more aggressive. They are not the little brother to the US, if I can say that out loud.
0: <laughs> no, in, in this regard, absolutely yeah, not.
2: Yeah, absolutely not. They're actually pretty sophisticated when it comes to transfer pricing. And I think uh, since 2016, they've improved their. Um, Compliance to you know to allocate to actually retrieve, if that's the right word here, about one point one billion dollars worth of adjustments, right? Right. So it's pretty significant in their minds in terms of what types of uh, transactions they can go after and how they can win. Now, tax authorities are winning these cases. Yeah. That's that's a big change, I would say, from five years ago, where tax authorities may have made changes to the legislative environment to create a little more complexity and to be able to capture more value and, and taxable income in their jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. But based on the environment today, they, they're they winning, whereas five years ago they weren't really winning as much.
0: Right. And even if you're not a household name, tax jurisdiction, Brazil, the United States, uh, doesn't mean you can't be aggressive. Probably the best example of that might be Poland.
2: Yes, absolutely. I, I think the emerging markets are... are extraneously aggressive, if I can say, because you would think, hey, as an emerging market country, perhaps they're not paying attention to transfer pricing. But I think they are very much attuned to now transfer pricing and and how it can be beneficial to help stimulate their economy.
0: For sure. And we're we're seeing that in the the digital tax debate as we go. So the action Points here to keep in mind are to give the tax authorities the information they want, but nothing more, knowing that they will read it and that everyone on both sides of the transaction has access to the same information in most cases.
1: That's exactly
0: right. Okay, Fiona, over to you again. What's resolution number five?
1: Resolution number five, know who your company is, not who it once was.
4: Um, So I think that sometimes I've seen um, clients just didn't take it seriously enough and um, and that can that can hurt you in the long run um, they either think it's fine nobody's ever um, nobody's ever audited me and I, one last one is I have also worked with companies that have grown so they started out as you know two guys in a garage and ended up, Suddenly they're a $400 million a year company, and they don't realize that that makes tax authorities look at them. And so they sometimes are a little slow to catch up with um, you know, being serious about the transfer pricing because they, they think of themselves as of being no interest to tax authorities until they are.
0: That was Barbara Montagani, tax attorney at Montagani Tax PLLC in Washington, D.C., excerpted from episode 18, Transfer Pricing in a Recession. I have run out of episodes to make Star Wars jokes. If there were 18 Star Wars movies, Twitter would melt. Mimi, is she right?
2: Absolutely. I think every company needs to understand their risks, right? You need to know if you're in an industry that's that's perhaps being targeted in some ways. Uh, like, we, you know, even though we've said historically, no company is safe, but at the same time, you should understand where you fall within the risk spectrum, within the heat map, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to understand what your company has been doing and how it looks externally, right? It, it's, it's important to understand what it is that the tax authority is seeing, the information that they're looking at. If you're not looking at it properly through their lens, then, uh, you know, are you anticipating what kind of questions are there go- that they're gonna ask you? Are you anticipating that you're putting yourself at risk when you see that your profit has gone between 20% down to 5%, back to 20% down to 5%? And you, you're creating a lot of volatility. Now, there could be very good business rationale for why that's happening, but you should anticipate that that's gonna create some focus, right? And some attention, red flags from tax authorities that'll say, huh, that's interesting. I wonder why that's happening. In in some ways, it's even just curiosity, perhaps, right? Uh, just, just to understand, you know, from a business perspective, what is driving that volatility? Um, the, the concept here also, I think, is that routine returns are perhaps not necessarily as routine as they historically might have been. We live in a society, or we live in an economy these days, where everything has has gone be above and beyond what people might have thought was possible from a business perspective. We have, we have, you know, business strategies that that no one anticipated when the original tax rules were written and put into place. So, ultimately, um, you just need to look at these things for your company Mm -hmm. through the lens of a tax authority and and question everything and just make sure that when you look at it properly, when you look at it through that lens, what is it that they could pick up and how can I make sure that I'm more proactive about managing the way that my company is being perceived based on the information that is readily available to all the different tax authorities?
0: So just to... Recap from that last answer, know if you're in a targeted field, remember that profit volatility is another trigger. Routine returns that are not routine can attract attention from tax authorities, and growth restructuring can be another red flag for, for auditors, uh, so to speak. I think even just remembering back to that episode, it was a very memorable episode, but something Barbara emphasized is You know, own the environment around you and tell your story no matter what happened to your company. If it was a recession or a hurricane, tell the story in your transfer pricing. Don't avoid it.
1: Right. That's exactly right.
0: And Fiona, what's resolution number six?
1: Resolution number six, delegate time and resources specifically for transfer pricing. In other words, make it a priority, not an afterthought.
0: And when asked, what is the biggest mistake m make in terms of transfer pricing?
4: Considering that there is not enough budget or time to take care of your transfer pricing matters.
0: And that is from Mariel Sima, transfer pricing manager at Cross Border Solutions in Argentina from our episode 25, the ATO, the aggressive Taxation Office, as we like to refer to the Australian Tax Authority. Uh, she's so knowledgeable. W- what do you say to clients who say they can't make transfer pricing a priority?
2: We hear that all the time. But unfortunately, I think transfer pricing needs to become part of the fabric of normal course of action. It has become such a p- priority for the tax authorities. Why wouldn't you make it a priority for your organization? So, Ultimately, you know, even though most multinationals may or may not have a transfer pricing expert internally, that doesn't mean they can't make it a priority. And and what I mean by that is you just first of all, you need a point person, a point of contact who says, "Okay, help. You need to be responsible for transfer pricing. You need to make sure that not only are you putting the right people in place to oversee it on a centrally managed basis, you put. The proper processes in place, right? Um, and then once you put certain processes in place to be able to manage it, it's an annual exercise. It's it's what we refer to, you know, as a BAU exercise when you're on the industry side, business as usual, right? right. So it's got to be a continuous process. It shouldn't be considered to be a one-off type of project that's done every few years. It it should just be, like I said, as uh your as a BAU process. And then you have to think about it across the third facet which is technology. So people, processes, and technology. And technology is there to be able to facilitate the processes and to mitigate the risk associated with people and the volatility of people and the migration of people because people are not going to stay in that one job forever and ever and ever. Right. Even though there are some people who have done that, which is fantastic. Right. But, you know, between you and me, Matt. I mean, I think this current generation, what the average amount of time they might have spent in any organization is like two years, I believe. So yeah, I'm, a, I'm an outlier. Flight risk is a, <laughs> it's real. I, I listen. I, I always think about it as it, it, it's the three pronged approach, right? You have mm-hmm. to look at it, manage it, and look at transfer pricing across people, processes, and technology, and make sure that if you look at it from that three pronged approach then you'll be able to bring transfer pricing into your normal course of action and make sure that it does become a priority and and that you're appropriately figuring out how to manage the transfer pricing requirements on an annual basis.
0: I think that's a good summary as well. Uh, Fiona, this is great advice. What's next?
1: Well, I combined resolutions 7 and 8 because they're related but they're both still important. First, number seven, make sure your intercompany agreements reflect what you're actually doing. I
4: think the biggest mistake that transfer pricing, um, that occurs with transfer pricing with large multinationals is that the form of their agreements doesn't match the substance of what they're actually doing. So they'll paper up an agreement, they'll have a policy, But then no one is actually working to see if they administer the policy, and that's what's actually booked. And I think that's the biggest disconnect. And those are the the clients that we work very closely with, um, because that's where BEPS is really going to hit, that the substance of the transaction is going to carry the day rather than the form.
0: And that was Lee Gahoy giving her expert advice on episode 27, Life After LIBOR.
1: I'm not done, Matt. Resolution number eight. Set up a process to maintain intra-company agreements.
3: You need to approach agreements from a holistic perspective. It's not just about creating something for tax. It's about creating something that genuinely meets the needs of all the relevant stakeholders in the group. And that means having a central policy and having a central system for designing and updating agreements.
0: And that was Paul Sutton from LCN Legal in London, excerpted from episode 14, Intra Company Service Transactions. So the point is to make sure your agreements reflect your business and also make sure that you. Can keep them up to date. Mimi, tell us how you go about doing that.
2: So you you have to have a policy for how you're handling agreements, and you have to have a policy that defines who's responsible for re- evaluating the agreements, who's responsible for operationalizing the agreements, who's responsible for keeping maintaining the agreements, where everything's being maintained. Um, you you need you need all these sort of policies and procedures in place, and and in order to make sure that. You know, the contractual agreement could say one thing. Operationally, you're effectuating the terms of the contract appropriately. uh, And you need to look at it on all sides. So when I was at the bank, what was really fascinating about this, and I used to complain about it, to be honest, right? So I used to (laughs) complain about the fact that, man, I was, uh, our, our business processes were evaluated by multiple different interested parties and stakeholders. So there was internal audit that made sure that, Internally, you're doing the right thing. We had um, external auditors who financial statement auditors who would be looking also to make sure you're doing the right thing. Then you have Sarbanes Oxley compliance auditors who are also making sure that you have all these checks and balances to make sure you're doing the right thing. But now I can appreciate that because if you didn't have so many different stakeholders making sure at every step of the way that you guys are doing the right thing, it is very easy to find out that the person actually calculating the transfer price is not following what the contract says is not actually repre- and the contract is not actually representative of the parties that are involved in that intercompany transaction is very easy for all of that to sort of fall apart. Um, and so now I can much more appreciate the fact that having policies, having procedures in place, having supportive, you know, different sort of uh, unrelated, if you will, Um, internal stakeholders auditing that process as well. I think it's really important to making sure that um, you are going to keep your contracts up to date and, and, and not get yourself in hot water at a later point in time.
0: And just taking a quick break to deliver our second CPE code word for our listeners. That word is delegate, as in our resolution number six, delegate time and resources specifically for transfer pricing. Uh, Very, very important resolution if you missed that one before. Fiona, we are already up to resolution number nine.
1: Make preparing transfer pricing documentation your goal, even if you never have to hand it in. A
0: global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it.
4: Failure to document. Uh, Compulsory documentation has to be done and has to be prepared, even if you don't have to give it out. But if you don't document, you leave yourself open to the tax authority coming after you. So failure to document is clearly number one.
0: And that was Lorraine Eden, uh, Emerita Professor of Business and author of Multinationals and Transfer Pricing.
2: I love that perspective. Because I, I, I think that this is this is an extremely good resolution that more multinationals have to get behind because it's it should never be reactive about okay well if I have to hand in my documentation who is going to read it and how I'm good you you should treat your documentation as if it's your bible to being able to determine and, and explain to tax authorities, not only tax authorities, but other internal stakeholder, perhaps, who are trying to understand the business a little bit better. It's a great document because it describes what your company is doing. It describes what the different entities are doing. It describes the risk profiles. Uh, and, you know, having all of that in place is really important, I think, um, to make sure that you're managing your story, that you are uh, really understanding your business so that you as a tax manager, director, you know, VP of tax are able to maximize the benefit that you're able to bring to the company because without an understanding of the facts and circumstances, your your ability to bring value back to your organizations is somewhat limited. Transit pricing is I think the best place or the documentation for the transfer pricing, I think is the best starting point you can have to understanding your business. And then from there, you know, figuring out how to do all these other important projects that are gonna bring value back to the organization.
0: All right, Fiona, hit us with resolution number 10.
1: Resolution number 10, maintain books and data at the entity level.
0: Here is Dr. Inaldo Silva, Economist, founder, and managing director of Royalty Stat in Bethesda, Maryland, in episode 21, Reliable Profit Level Indicators. Mm -hmm.
3: So what is happening is that the planning is done, uh, but the data lags behind. So when the tax authorities come, and here I'm saying tax authorities in the plural, not only the IRS, there is always a death of data. That's to say it's very difficult for the tax authorities to obtain book accounts uh, at the legal entity level. So this leads to a presumption that the taxpayer is dodging or is hiding in the ball. Hmm. So it leads to what I have said before, to a kind of audit that we call a shotgun approach. Since we do not have the data, To formulate a theory, uh, let us ask all we can. And this becomes an audit uh, management nightmare. Right.
0: Why is that so important, Mimi?
2: You'd be surprised at how many companies don't have the data to actually support or even implement their transfer pricing policies. And so when I was on the consulting side before I went in-house, I was always so curious as to how can you not have this level of data available if your policy is to apply a markup on these particular costs? How can you not tell me what those costs are? And then I went in-house and then I realized, you know, it's because when a business manages, you know, the business, managers and, and CEOs, CFOs, they're not managing the business on a legal entity basis. Nobody cares. The legal entity constructs are there For tax purposes and, and, you know, perhaps for uh, liability purposes as well. There's other legal, you know, purposes for having a legal entity structure. But from a business management perspective, it doesn't matter, right? Because it's left pocket, right pocket. And so that's when I realized, oh my gosh, that's why it is so difficult to find a certain level of detail and data that could really be useful for transfer pricing purposes because transfer pricing is based on these legal entity constructs, right? And it, right. that is really important um, to make sure that you can demonstrate that you're actually operating at arm's length to to be able to identify specific types of costs or to be able to identify the net sales associated with the resale of intercompany purchases, as an example. But the people that are overseeing it, the, the C-level executives, they don't really care. Let's be right. honest. <laughs> and and that's a challenge. Now, once people understand the risk involved with the regulatory environment, once people understand the compliance burden uh, that is placed on them as as multinationals and their obligation you know, to pay taxes in these different jurisdictions, they're going to need that level of data to be able to appropriately manage the tax positions to mitigate risk and to maximize the benefit back to the organization, right? right? So, you know, I know most, I would say, uh, most executives are probably thinking oh my gosh these tax people and why are they asking for all this stuff <laughs> right because taxes is a, it's a it's a cost it's a cost right. center and so compliance activities it always is just an additional cost to the business it doesn't really you know impact the it it impacts the bottom line negatively mm-hmm. now but the truth of the matter is with a, you know if you have the right Uh, people and and resources in place, well, then you could potentially, you know, take those costs and actually reduce them by finding, you know, potential opportunities to uh, to plan better, to find tax savings, to 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 take advantage of, you know, opportunities, uh, at least from a business perspective, to mitigate that that risk and air exposure. Right. 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 Data is important.
0: Data is very important. And we're down to the wire. Fiona hit us with resolution number 11.
1: Resolution number eleven. Think of appearances.
5: That's, I mean we see some tax planning that, in some sense, is sort of the best and the worst at the same time. In some sense, it's the best because it sort of technically actually works. It ticks all the boxes. So really clever lawyers have put some of this stuff together, and maybe that was Mark in his previous capacity. Um, but it's also, in some sense, the worst because it will be known to tax administration and ultimately to tax policymakers. And to the larger international community. And given how sensitive and how important and how political tax has become, it's a topic for society with many things that are taxed. It's fairness, it's the level playing field, the financial crisis, it's everybody chips in. And in that sort of context, having that tax planning that technically may comply with the rules, but gets you to a result where the man on the street, everybody kind of says, well, it cannot be true, is just a kick in the shin of tax policymakers. So, In some sense, where I would say is like, don't be surprised if your tax planning is too good to be true. It's probably not going to last.
0: And those are the words of Dr. Ahim Prost, the head of the International Cooperation and Tax Administration Division within the OECD's Center for Tax Policy and Administration, excerpted, of course, from episode 19, Tax Certainty, Fact or Fiction. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So, what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai/slash TPU.
2: So, appearances are, are that much more important these days I think and then you know the fact of the matter is transfer pricing is such a hot topic it's in the news everywhere I, I have Google alerts set to give me transfer pricing news on a weekly basis and there's there are like 15 articles a week it's pretty mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing and so it's really important how as a brand you're perceived to have um, you know addressed your your tax situation I think Amazon was recently vilified because ultimately it said Amazon has a zero percent effective tax rate and don't chop at Amazon because they don't pay taxes and they don't treat their employees very well. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, they they have aggressive tax planning policies, right? right? But they're doing what they can do within the confines of the current regulatory environment. So it's not their fault necessarily. It's not that Amazon's the fault. The tax rules are what they are,
0: right? And there was also that story uh, about the HMRC, uh, a very bad branding scandal for Starbucks. Uh, they were saying those are our bucks, not Starbucks. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, listen, this this goes back to what I was saying earlier in this podcast to say transfer pricing has become a, a dirty word. People are vilifying transfer pricing and, and thinking that when multinationals. are... Are engaged in aggressive tax planning opportunities well ultimately they're doing something really really bad but you know like I said they're working within the confines of of what they've been given I think the work of the OECD right now and what's happening in on this on this global scale with all these different countries coming together and finally saying you know what we should work together it's probably a step in the right direction yes It, it, it absolutely is because to to shore up these tax arbitrage situations, get people talking, close the loopholes, and then multinationals will then fair, you know pay their fair share of taxable income in every jurisdiction around the world. Fix the fix the ultimate problem, and then everything will fall into line, right? So.
0: Right, right, right. If there's no place to hide. in that that regard or or shuffle uh, profits away, then it's a level playing field for everybody.
2: Right, but you know, at the end of the day though, it's much easier to uh, vilify the companies as opposed to the tax agencies
0: but something else to keep in mind in that broader conversation of course
2: you want your tax planning to be strategic but not overly aggressive i mean you want right. to take positions that are reasonable you don't want to have to push the envelope way too far and and take advantage you know to maximize your tax arbitrage situations because you know then you're then you're just pushing the envelope and then, you know it's it's okay to make good rational business decisions
0: Right. right and uh not risk having the pendulum fall back the other way too harshly
2: exactly
0: well that was fun thank you so much to Mimi and thank you Fiona what a great way to start the new year I have one more resolution to add stay informed about transfer pricing where do you begin listen to the Fiona show and every week we will deep dive into transfer pricing trends issues regulations you name it I mean launching the new year with a few extra CPE credits isn't such a bad thing is it get started by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, subscribe to our sister podcast, The Fiona Show, hot off the press. I mean, you're right there and we'll fill you in on what and who is making headlines in transfer pricing every week. This podcast was engineered, edited, and hosted by yours truly, Matthew DeMello, Marilyn Mitchum-Strom, our executive producer, writes our scripts. Tune in next week to see where the latest twists and turns in the transfer pricing world deliver us. And from everyone at Cross Border Solutions, Happy New Year. May you have a happy healthy, prosperous, and podcast-rich 2020.